welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares. And um, we've got a whole house of mics today with a super special guest. This might be our best episode ever. I mean, I can't even tell you how many friggin' write-ins we got in for this episode. And everyone wanted to talk to the lawyer, of course. Um, we want to talk to a lawyer. In fact, I, I got to say, like, over the years and growing up in an HR family, like, the employment lawyers were always, like, the most fun people that we worked with and hung out with. So um, special guest is Will Odin. He's a partner at Warden Smith in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, but you work all over the place, so I want to hear from you. But we've also got a couple of LEAF HR group ladies with us. Yeah. Hi, I'm Amy Conway. Hey, Gabby Plumet. And I am Lisa Leith. Um, so, Will, hey, hey, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It only took us three times. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a rescheduling nightmare. But you're here now. No, you're, no, it, wasn't even a, it wasn't even a rescheduling. It was just... It, weird things. Yeah, You've got a flat tire. Electricity went out for like 20 days downtown. <laughs> um, well, tell us about you. Like, Tell us about how you ended up being an employment attorney. Did you ever think you were going to do anything else? And like, tell us about your practice at Warden Smith and what you really love about Yeah what you do. Well, th thank y'all for having me. So I, I fell into it. I think I've told you this before. I, I, I just fell into it. I uh, went to law school, thought I wanted to be a litigator and did the trial team stuff and the moot court stuff. And that was a blast. Were you good at it? I was pretty good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty good at it. Mainly because I worked really hard at it. Like, you know, you talk about like a natural athletes, learned athletes. Yeah. I definitely think as a litigator, I was a learned athlete. Like it, was, it took a lot of hard work. Like some people, you could just tell, walked in the room and they were already there. For me, it was it was hard. Um, but I got pretty good, enjoyed it, thought I wanted to be a litigator. Uh, got a job right out of law school with Warden Smith. I've been there ever since. So for 18 years, which is kind of weird to wow. say out loud, right? That's great, yeah. Uh, but after about six months of doing general litigation at Warden Smith, they had a need for an employment attorney. Uh, and I really liked who I'd be working with, uh, who my mentor would be, and I. Who was it? Ken Gray. He still is. Okay. He's still my mentor. I, and I've told him this many times. I probably will stop practicing law when he does because <laughs> I really can't imagine not having him as a mentor, and he'll never hopefully see this because I, I don't want to give him that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> he's my big head, but we'll tag him, don't he's worry. like my big brother, so we really have right. a very you know it's a fun relationship, but. Um, He's been great, and I, I talked to him earlier today. We, we still work very closely together. He's still down in Newburn. I moved down to Wilmington in 2007. We've been here ever since. We will not leave. We love it. Uh-oh, me yeah. neither. Yeah. So yeah, but you story. left, but you're trying to come back. Yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> well, cool. Um, that's along the HR line. So, first of yeah. all, this is HR Nightmares, but what we really try to do is we love a good story, a salacious story, but we really try to tell these stories so that people can avoid HR Nightmares. Sure. and. Um, like it sounds like Warden Smith really had it going on even before employee experience was like a term that we were using as far as teeing you up with a mentor. I actually met somebody the other day. I wish I remembered his name, um, but he gave you credit for the same thing. So like, like is, is that a practice for Warden Smith? Or? Yeah. So we, every attorney that comes out of law school or a lateral gets paired with someone that serves as their mentor, their practice mentor. And then you've also got like a work supervisor when you first year out of law school to kind of make sure you have nothing to do, not too much, that kind of thing. Yeah. The mentor piece is huge because it's, you know, there's a lot, just, I mean, there's a lot about being a professional that kind of school really don't know. And so just that person's that rock for you, 
you know, silly question you can ask without feeling silly, that kind of thing. And just somebody you work really closely with. So yeah, very good. For me, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience. I can imagine it's just helpful to like talk things through and have someone. I remember like you said about employment attorneys, you know, I worked for Nordstrom for yeah. 18 years and we had someone like that directly supervised each region. So I don't think there was a day that went by that I didn't have her on the phone. Yeah. The Northeast Same. region, right? These really big cities, tricky cities. And a lot of times it was just like, we needed to talk things through and make sure it was the right decision. We're saying the right thing. We're being consistent. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great Keeping us out of hot water. It's Well, the HR practitioner and the employment attorney, that relationship is so important to have a great relationship and kind of be on the same playing field and be the yin to each other's yang. And like we did a set, we did uh, some sessions last summer. Yep. I think it was together. We had a great attendance. Yeah, um, yeah, that was super fun. We'll have to think about doing something like that again. But it is a very special relationship. You got to be on the same page, right? Respect each other's positions. And um, well, cool. So, uh, got any good stories for us? I, like, I mean, I'll just say it's it is never a dull day. Uh, as y'all all are very well aware, everything's very fact intensive. So mm. it's just the smallest fact change can change what the recommendation is going to be or what's going to happen in court or for the EEOC. Um, and so it is very important to have a good either in-house or out-house, you know, HR person that can help because really you can get out of your skis. Um, you, can be, you know, we all have our own skills and you can be able you can be an outstanding business owner and have the best, you know, intentions for your employees, and you can still make very fatal missteps. So, um, and if you don't have an HR person, you yeah, can only HR. Right. <laughs> I'm curious. You know, what do you are you seeing any major trends in the last like handful of years? What's on the uptick as far as business owners need to kind of pay attention to this, this has changed, or just kind of what are you seeing as general things? Yeah, so it's really, for me, what I always feel like, and it's been this way since 2004 for me, it's really the, I won't say the basics, but it's the, it's the primary stuff that you still see people messing up, so misclassification issues huge. Um, that means not paying people overtime when they deserve it. Correct. Like treating an employee like an independent contractor. Um, and I mean, it's just a, it can be a very big problem. Um, Department of Labor will come in and audit you. If, if you have misclassified an employee as an independent contractor, you can be liable for all kinds of things, including overtime, fines, you know, civil penalties, and not to mention any other benefit that a similarly situated worker that is an employee got that the independent contractor didn't. The company will be forced to pay that value. So if you and have that's so fun, yeah, back one, right? Oh yeah, four hundred one k contributions. Mm-hmm. Not to mention all the, uh, you know, obviously you haven't been withholding from the employee and paying into the government. You're going to owe Uncle Sam their piece for all that. And it's just messy, and yeah. um, it also doesn't give your workforce very good confidence that you know what you're doing. That's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's the. I mean, that's I see that at least once a week. Someone it being is so all interesting that you say that because those are two things that are top of my mind yeah. right yeah. now with a yeah a couple uh, teams that we work with and they've been things that I feel like I've talked about several times. Yeah. And,
I just think about like advice to people listening to, and it's like it doesn't matter if you're an employer, or a supervisor, or a contractor, or whatever. Like everything is recoverable and discoverable. Some once something is sent in a text or an email, or you Google it or whatever, like they gonna find it. And you've got software like forensic software that's actually gonna like help us find it. So if you you know wouldn't want Will or the HR manager or the business owner seeing or hearing about something, then you shouldn't put it. I think the missed um, classification for like exempt, non-exempt is a really interesting one with the businesses I work with because I think that there is a fear that if they move certain people over to non-exempt, that they, they equate that with that have to be hourly, and I keep saying, you know, they can be salary, right? And they equate that with, we're going to have to pay them a bunch of extra yeah. income. And I'm like, well... They don't really work over 40 hours anyway. So there really is not a huge amount of risk from a financial standpoint to classify them where they should be classified. So it's like a re-education. So I hope if we have any business owners on here where this is something that's your thought, it is not a huge, it does not have to be a huge impact to the business, but it is the right thing to do. And we're open to a lot of risk if we're misclassifying. So, yeah, I think it's just having good HR people to help educate you on what that really looks like. No, very true. Yeah. So, I mean, the government looks back two years for what they would say non-willful violations are, three years if it's willful. Mm-hmm. So if you've been put on notice by your attorney or your HR director or someone else that you've misclassified your folks, they could, the government could take position that that's a three-year look-back period. So it can get very pricey. Yeah. Um, not to mention attorney's fees. Right, not to mention attorney's <laughs> fees. And then, you know, the, you know, to your point about the, it's not going to be this massive, expensive thing to do it the right way. I mean, you control how many hours your non-exempt folks work. Right. If they work unauthorized time, you stop paying for it, obviously, but then you, you write them up, you discipline them. Mm-hmm. If they continue to work unauthorized time, you can terminate them. I mean, there are other avenues you can take that will Hey, the one thing that people are often um, like just learn about when we talk about it is all the different kinds of insurance that you can get as a business owner to help pay for unwillful violations. If you have to engage somebody like Will Odin at Warden Smith, talk to us about like some insurance policies that you recommend that people look into. And they're usually pretty expensive. Correct. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing is they really are typically not that expensive. So you have three or more employees in North Carolina. Obviously, you got to carry workers' comps. You got workers' comp insurance. That's really a no-brainer. Other, other moment of the misclassification issue: if you misclassified, you know, employees as independent contractors, and one of them gets injured, they're still going to file a workers' comp claim against you. But the insurance company, even if you've got workers' comp in place, isn't going to defend you because you've not treated them as an employee. So then, not only are you paying for this workers' comp case. Uh, it just can get very expensive. Um, and if you think you only have three independent contractors and it turns out they're employees, and so you've not been having workers' comp insurance in place, it's going to be an uninsured claim, which means the Attorney General's office gets involved and criminal charges get filed. I mean, it's very, so it's very messy. So get workers' comp insurance. If you're anywhere close to three or more employees, get workers' comp insurance. Um, the other thing I always recommend, employer practices liability insurance, EPLI. Um, it, it typically will cover at the very minimum defense of EEOC charges, litigation resulting from EEOC charges. Some of them 
less than most, but some of them do cover wage and hour issues. Um, it yeah. really depends on the policy. If you've got a good agent, they'll know about this. Speak to your agent. Make sure you review the policy to see what all it covers. But that at a minimum, those are the two things I recommend. Yeah, and with the EPLI, I've used that before. And, like, if the deductible is 40 grand or 70 grand, well, guess what? It doesn't take long to rack 70 grand up, you know, working on one of these cases. And then the other thing, too, is usually they'll have a list of attorneys that you can choose from. But if you call the insurance company, you can usually get your favorite Will Odin on the insurance, uh, the list of approved attorneys. So that's kind of cool. So definitely get EPLI and workers' comp, everybody. Well, um, y'all run anything else insurance wise that I would not have? No, I think EPLI for me is just like the, the, that's been really beneficial mm-hmm. for me um, working as uh, in HR in companies small to large. Yeah. So, really good. Um, hey, we have so many write ins. Like, we got to get to Cool. And I want to shout out our listeners because we're, how, we're like 10 months in and we are getting write ins from California, Florida, wow. Virginia, South Carolina. And if you're new here, we're um, local to Wilmington, North Carolina. So it's really cool to be across the country. So yes, yes. Or Elizabeth, that's that's okay. I love it. Well, if you brushed up on your California law. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't reply to that one. They just passed the UK transparency right, laws. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was I, I had New York, so New York already had that once upon a time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So we'll start with one in North Carolina. Okay. And this listener wrote in, this is this one is for the employment law attorney. Thank you so much for having <laughs> yes, us. Yes, we got to get to this one. Yeah, of course. There must be something in the water here because three of our employees are getting um, towards the end of their presence. Uh, Pregnancy under ADA, since it's not considered a disability unless there's complications, and most are not eligible for FMLA, do you grant time off as PTO? We don't have maternity leave, so trying to see what what to do since we have an extremely high percentage of employees that need time off. We should have had something in place already, but we've been short-staffed. I wear the hats of sales, office manager, HR, and IT. Oh, that's good. Wow. <laughs> Um, also, how do you determine when it's no longer reasonable to keep employees out on o- LOA once they've exhausted FMLA and have been out for six months or longer using ADA? Dang. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I, I, there are so many layers in that. I feel like that's a – you need to probably call us and have a conversation because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of bad information yeah. there. Yeah, there is. So what I will say, and, and hopefully this is not too much of a lawyer, it depends answer, but – what I will say is, you know, caller or the, or the person who wrote in referred to FMLA and ADA. FMLA is typically, it's going to apply to, not typically, it's going to apply to businesses that have 50 or more employees within a 75 mile radius. It's, it's, you're, uh, you're guaranteed up 12 weeks of leave, unpaid typically, although it can run concurrently with any other paid leave the company offers. But the, the trick here is that even once the FMLA runs out, which again can be taken intermittently as well, which means not all at once, within a 12 month period, and then it, it typically, you know, depending on whether they count it from the calendar year or the, you know, fiscal year, it, it recharges or whatever. But even once FMLAs run out, you still have to consider ADA, which is the American with Disabilities Act, which requires that individuals with a health condition that rises to the level of a disability, mental or physical, um, are entitled to a reasonable accommodation if that accommodation will allow them to perform the essential functions of their job. Um, 
can't cause an undue hardship to the business, which is very hard to prove an undue hardship in this particular circumstance. And I was trying to listen to everything they said. <laughs> I, I will just say, obviously, number one, follow your own policies and your written policies that provide paid leave or any other benefit during that period of time. You obviously have to do that. But in addition to that, if you have 50 or more employees, they're going to they're gonna get some time off for pregnancy. And what have y'all seen in terms of a regular pregnancy versus a cesarean? Is that y'all think six, y'all, or, eight. six or eight? But that's y'all. not FMLA. No. So the t- total time is the same. Correct. That's the disability yes. period. It's right. either six weeks or eight weeks if you have a cesarean. But, yeah, that's your your FMLA time, which covers your disability time, that stays the same. That's and right. they run concurrently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that gave some information. That's very Yeah, there were, a, there were a lot of layers in it. So obviously we don't know the business, right? So we don't know how many employees right. they have. We don't we don't know kind of what um I assume maybe it sounded like they said not qualified for FMLA. So I'm, okay. I think that's, that's maybe what it said. So maybe they don't have but they got referenced busy, but, a bunch of times, so that's why we got confused. Yeah, yeah. but it's a little of a of a tricky one there. But I think the bigger question is yeah, like how long can they reasonably keep someone out? But I think what was important to know was what you said about undue hardship, because this was one I used to deal with all the time, and I would have managers and business, you know, like business leaders, like, it's an undue hardship. Right. Like, no, it's not. Like, We're a company of 80,000 employees, so to prove that we can't have that one individual out for 12 months if needed, no. Like, that's just not the case. Even I have a business that, you know, has 80 or 100 employees. I'm like, no, we can easily fill that spot. You know, we can shift people over. There's just no. So anytime a business owner says it creates hardship, I'm like, well, let's talk about that. And yeah. it sounds like this person's like in a position where they can actually change the policy, mm-hmm. right? They're like a key leader. Maybe they're like sister brother to the owner, been there forever. They're a trusted right hand person. So I would definitely consider taking a look at your current policies and if there's anything that you would like to update. To be a, uh, we always encourage people to be a human centric leader. If you can yeah. do it, if it doesn't cause undue hardship <laughs> to be human centered. Um, but like for real, I'm a mom. Um, I, I gotta tell you, it was so awesome to be able to be out for 20 weeks when I had my first kid. Only six of it was paid at two thirds by my short term disability. But I had saved knowing that I was going to be, that that I could take 20 weeks to be with my kid. And when I brought that little nugget to daycare after 20 weeks, it still was like, that is a bean. And that is hard to let go of a baby even after 20 weeks. So to ask a woman to come back to work after giving birth, let's say six weeks when short-term disability runs out, that's pretty ruthless. Yeah, Uh, I mean, daycares (laughs) wouldn't even take a child at that point. Some of them, yeah, some of them don't. But, but I would just say, like, whatever you can do to, like, right. really, I mean, that's going to drive loyalty points sky high. I, it, you got to give folks at least 12 weeks. Yeah. And, and thinking about, you know, what are the other options for the business, right? Could we, could we create an internship program to fill that gap? Could we have yeah. temporary employees to fill that gap? Right. Sometimes it's about thinking, okay, yeah, we want that individual. And sure, we need to create consistent policies, right? Absolutely. That was part of it, but also thinking about how else can we make sure that that the business needs are met while we are able to do that for our employees. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Yeah. yeah. And, if, and then devil's advocate, if you truly believe 
that the accommodations going to be an undue hardship. It's called the ADA interactive process for a reason. It's mm-hmm. not just one conversation. Hey, Bob, we can't do this. Hey, Susan, we can't do this. It needs to be tell us what you think, get more potential accommodations from the individual, weigh them, weigh them, consider them. There should be a lot of back and forth. Yeah, are there other jobs in right. the company that would be better for the accommodations that you're qualified for? You know, thinking through that. We've done that before yep. with people to a department that could yep. be a more remote opportunity, right? Versus someone who had to be on their feet in front of a customer all day long. It just didn't work any longer. So thinking through all those options. Yeah, it's cliche. I mean, culture truly does not need strategy for breakfast. So if you're good to your people, you can mess up a lot of other stuff. Yeah. If you're good to your people. Yeah. You're, you're going to be in good shape. All right. What's next? Yeah, yeah, right. Cool. Let's go to South Carolina. Okay. And I'm, I'm particularly curious about this too, um, because I think this is really relevant right now as we're getting people to move back to come into office, right? We have this work from home option. The great unwind that they were calling it yesterday at yes, this regional economy yeah. thing that we were at. Yeah. The unwind. I was like, oh. So we'll start hearing that every day, all day. So um, question, here we go. I work for a big company that has locations all over the world. I live in South Carolina, but the team I work with is in New York. They have been wanting us to come back into the office, trying to persuade us with tacos and donuts. Oh, yeah, we love that. (laughs) No, that is great and all. I work with no one in our South Carolina office and oftentimes find myself not getting as much done at the office, which we, I heard of. Yeah, yeah. Our office manager of the South Carolina location, not my direct report, just said our attendance in the office now has an 83% weight on <coughs> performance reviews. Can they do that? Two of the other people whose home office is in South Carolina, has they have moved to Florida. They're not sure what to do. How would you start that conversation with the office manager? Okay, so caveat, I'm not licensed in South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a North Carolina attorney. However... I, generally speaking, I would say yes, they can do that. They can require in-person attendance. It, I would just have an open and honest conversation with your supervisor. Um, I know my wife works from home now, and she would say, and I think everybody would agree, she is more productive at home um, because she she does she is social. She likes to speak with folks, and when she's at home, she isn't yeah. in the mix. You eliminate all that chit chat. Yeah, <laughs> and so sometimes the supervisor doesn't. Even they're applying a policy carte blanche to everybody, and they're not thinking about how, how it might actually be good to have an exception or a variance for certain folks. You sound like an HR practitioner. Right Sorry. Now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of those, yeah, while maybe legal to do yeah. 83% weight on that's crazy. Attendance, that's what right. is it, right? college where so, your grade is right. indicative of whether you show up to class? I mean, so it feels sense. like yeah. maybe businesses' priorities are maybe on top. Or maybe they're trying yeah. to get rid of people. Right. You know, they might be trying to shed some weight. Can I be devil's advocate Please. really quick? So say um, we got some performance reviews back. We're, we see a decline in our culture. And I'm a business, you know, the manager, and I want to bring people in because that's what I first think. Yeah. Hey, bring them back together to improve that culture. Yeah. What would you say to that? Like, people can laugh together. Yeah. And I want, you know, yeah. And that was like the whole, remember at the beginning of COVID, all the, all the businesses were like, this is going to kill our culture and we're not, nothing's going to be the same again. And it just wasn't true. Um so I, I don't know. Like, there's other things. I mean, checking in. Talk, yeah. I mean, first of all, talk to your people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not talking to your people and having regular one-on-ones, even like 15 minutes once a week, 
go look up WorkTalk, WorkTalk.com. Then we created this app as HR practitioners to like actually keep people connected when no one's talking to their employees enough, ever. Yeah. And no matter where they are, too. Yeah. No matter where they are, yeah. So we're you know, thinking culture. Club. You know, I hear that a lot from some business owners that have been historically always an in-office business. They didn't know anything different before COVID hit. So for them, it's also it, it continues to be a challenge, and they don't think there's any other way, right? But then I also have a business that I support through the HR group that is all virtual, all remote. They have better culture than any of the others. Oh, yeah. And I like, and they're incredible. Their employees love it. They hire people who want that lifestyle too, that flexibility, that remote. But I mean, their culture is incredible. And they've really never been an in office business. They've had a small handful of people in an office, but that doesn't even really exist anymore. Their people are all over North America. Um, I think so, yeah, just, I just I don't think that's the only way, you know, remote worker culture, culture. Feel, you know, person to person. I mean, I think it's important. Um, you gotta be reminding people of all those too. components of the employment value proposition, which you guys touched on in your seminar yesterday. But it's like, is there trust in leadership? So from the top down at the client that you're talking about, they they love the CEO and the owner, okay? Do you trust the brand? Do you like the product that you're selling or supporting? Or like, are you proud of the place that you are? Do you like the people that you work with? Who you have to teams with? Who you have to Slack with? Who you have to go and present to customers to? I mean, there's so many components of this and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, but like... There are things you should be bragging about as a supervisor, as a marketing team, as an HR team. Like you gotta, you gotta be reminding people of what differentiates you as an employer to get people. There's, it's just pride in workplace. Yeah. The person wrote in, I, I would say, come to the table and have the discussion with supervisor. Come with potential solutions. Like, mm -hmm. what would you suggest? Do you think it would be reasonable for you to travel to South Carolina or not work remotely one day a month, yeah. two days a month? Once a week, you come in and work in the office. Like, what would it, what do you think would be a solve to that problem? Um, don't just walk in with hands out saying, I don't know what to do about this, but it, come with a yeah. solution. Okay. But if you like working there, if you're like, well, screw this, <laughs> I do not want to go in ever, um, then just understand that, like, this might not be a great place for you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, so let's get on the plane and let's go to California. Okay. Real quick. <laughs> um, as a retail store manager, this is uh, this is up your alley. I average about ninety to one hundred twenty hours every two weeks. Meal period violations, absolutely seven to twelve days straight, absolutely illegal. But my question is, would it be the grounds <laughs> to then terminate a store manager because they are nodding off during a conference call with a schedule like that? Read that last part again. Is she a store manager? Is he a store yeah, manager? That's yeah. yeah, they they're, they're a store, store manager. manager. Okay. But now I guess they're terminating another store manager. Okay. Or maybe they're just saying like they, they, we're having crazy hours, we're exhausted, we're nodding off. And maybe they're being threatened to Yeah. Terminate. Okay, okay. <laughs> and they're in California. They're in California. Yeah. Can you sleep on the job in California? Probably. <laughs> Also, California, do they have the days in a row law? I believe so. Do they? Okay, because I had it in Massachusetts. Right. I so I think so. that was my only state where we had to be really cautious that we weren't scheduling anyone more than, I think it was six days, actually, for that. 
which can be hard to do because when you build a retail capacity schedule and you take days off differently than a normal nine to five Monday yeah. to Friday, it's, it's easy to make that mistake and schedule people too much because you're doing weekly schedules and you don't realize like someone was on here and then you put them on the front yeah, end of the week yeah, when they were on the back It's really easy to yeah. make the mistake because I constantly just would be like, just tell me. I mean, I was a retail manager. I'm like, just tell me when I do that. I don't want to schedule for more than like four days in a row, right? Before yeah. you get a day off, it's exhausting. Um, I mean, the 90 hours every two weeks, that's, that's pretty that regular. Bad. I mean, usually we base things on semi-monthly with like 86 and a half when we pay semi-monthly. Um, 86 and a half a pay period, which would be two weeks and an extra day sometimes. But... I mean, should they be getting terminated for sleeping on the job? I don't know. How often does that happen? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, yeah, the schedule's not great. It's not great. But I also don't know that working 90 hours over two weeks, you know, even 120 hours, that's 60 hours a week. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. But there's also enough time to not to get some rest and not sleep on the job. Um, I think it it's a conversation that needs to be had. I don't. They're, I assume before they're yeah. being terminated, there's many steps yeah. that have led to that, but that would be an assumption. It may not be true. Um, but in California, no, unfortunately, they, they've got a lot of things that are layered in there that the, the business owner, whoever owns that retail store, should maybe look into some things before they terminate the employee. California is just very different place. Mm-hmm. And um, I represent quite a few clients that have California operations. And we- for some clients, um, one in particular right now, we will prepare these quarterly state law tracker that kind of keep them in the straight and narrow for that particular state. And I think I looked at one for California the other day, helping one of my law partners review it. And just some of the stuff I saw, just, you're a North Carolina-based company, I'm talking to my folks right now because I'm a North Carolina lawyer, and you have operations in California, man, don't, don't assume that it's anything like what you're able to do here. Mm-hmm. So that's... Very roundabout way to say I would never work for other business in California. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like at Northstar, I mean, we had a very small employment council team that was internal that we worked with and external anytime we had to actually like go to litigation for anything in the state, right? Or in the various states. But we had someone like that was very specific, like they handled California and maybe two other states. And then there would be someone for like the whole rest of the country. So that's how tricky it was, and the reason why it's so tricky is because it's very ever-changing. So there, there's a lot of new things that happen. There's a lot of just class actions in California that we don't see in all the other states. And, yeah, I remember it. me being very grateful that I never passed California yeah. in my region. I want to get back to something that you said. You broke down the hours, right? So 60 hours a week. I'm sure you guys, I spent many years working 60 oh, plus I mean, hours a week. I worked in retail for 18 years, yeah. so that to me was, I was like, Meh. The only time I almost <laughs> nodded off in a meeting was after I took a Benadryl because I was having like some kind of allergic reaction. But I'm like, other than that, I mean, that's not really that much. So I would question like, what else is going on with this person? Are they having like, yeah. like personal issues? They go on through divorce, they care of an elderly parent. Like, do they maybe have a medical condition yeah. that they have undiagnosed? Like, if I was their manager or even a friend or a colleague, I would maybe pull them aside and have a private conversation and be like, hey, it's not a good look to be sleeping in meetings. First of all, what's going on with you? And is right. there anything going on that maybe you should be talking to your supervisor about? Or yeah, and we're figuring out, like, is this truly a disengaged employee or are there other things? Yeah, they have yeah. something going on. 
Yeah. Don't be a supervisor of the situation. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. One of the things we run into in triology too. Oh is, yeah. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's going on because then I know it could be an issue that I'm going to deal with. And put your head in the sand is never the right approach. I agree. People, yeah, I had, I had, are just scared they're going to say something wrong. Right. They are. I had one last week. I had to counsel someone on it, and he's like, "No, if I ask, you know, I want to ask the wrong things." I go, "Well, just ask. Tell me what's going on, yeah. right?" I'm like, "It's as easy as that." And, um, and then you know, we avoided it. And I'm like, "Okay, but here's the thing: we actually do know what's going on. So now that we know, if something happens tomorrow, like we're on the hook because we actually did know about it." We, didn't talk to the employee. We actually do know what's going on. So that is so important. It's like the minute you do know what's going on, I always want to come in and it's like, oh, yeah, you're accountable for this. So you've got to ask them. you yeah. got to talk to them. Because you're responsible for the business too. So they get paid big bucks, managers. They make or break. They make or break every case I've ever been involved in. Yeah. You know, people that are direct supervisors. Mm-hmm. They're your greatest asset or your greatest liability. And so, like, if you're running, you know, an organization that's even, like, 10-plus employees, train your managers. Like, have a, you know, even just pulling them together for a huddle once a year, mm-hmm. really talking about, like, some of the key employee issues that they're facing and get an expert in there to train them on what's the appropriate way to handle certain scenarios, like employee relations scenarios is really important. Yeah, and training the right things down. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> and follow up with an email. Did you have a conversation? <laughs> Did Doc meant that you had that conversation yeah. anywhere? Yeah. And not a shadow file, right? I mean, yeah, I know yeah. you don't know that, right. but it's free. No, yeah, tell them about that. You don't keep a secret file because you don't want to have confrontation, so you're just jotting down things that John yeah. has done wrong and keeping it somewhere because that does not count. Yeah. It needs to be, I actually talked to John about these things yeah. on such and such date. Yeah. Here's what we talked about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And preferably, John sees that. In other words, like, you know, it could be an email. You know, yeah. Lisa meets with John, you know, to tell him what he's done wrong, follows it after the meeting, says, Thanks again for meeting with me. Here's what we right. discussed. Here's what we expect. That email is gold. I mean, yeah. you have a couple of those, you're in a lot better position if the employee gets terminated or resigns and claims that they were forced to quit. And, and it was all because, you know, Lisa was harassing them or discriminating against them or, they had complained about something that was, you know, actionable, like OSHA, like safety. Um, Lisa didn't say no. It was performance. And here, here's the proof. Yeah. It's not just mm-hmm. he versus, you know, what he said, she said. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. super important. And while we're on a talk of documents, I want to talk about like HR documents in court, right? Yeah. So doing some research online, I like Sherman said, oh, um, employee handbooks are top five sure. HR documents that come up in court. So we have a question yeah, about yeah. this. Wilmington, so okay. you're neck of the woods, our neck of the woods, I guess. <laughs> I'm the manager of a small business here in town. I need to fire an employee. They're always late and always have a bad attitude when they do show up. The issue is we are a small company and historically family owned and operated, and we do not have an employee handbook. We have verbal policies, but we never have really had to reinforce them because we've been very lucky. We've documented the tardiness in conversations, but I'm worried since we do not have an official policy or document stating that that they could take us to court. Anything would help. Okay. Well, so hopefully when you say small business, you mean less than 15 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it a little easier. Um, I still, even in those circumstances, 
I would still, especially, first of all, you have to peer by consistently. So you want to make sure that you've not let somebody slide on these issues for a long period of time, but not, and then take action against just one person, right? But generally speaking, I would say I want at least one written warning in the file that's that to give the individual a chance to get better. And then if they continue, then fire them. Assuming they don't Even have a written without an employee handbook. Correct. Right. And, and assuming they don't have a written employment agreement that promises them employment for a term of time, mm-hmm. so they're at will. So really, you know, you can terminate them for any reason, or any reason at all, or no reason, as long as it doesn't violate public policy, which is like the Title Seven harassment, discrimination stuff, um, things like that. But legitimate business reason, totally fine to terminate someone. You just need to make sure it's documented at a time. And I'd send them the termination notice in writing, too, so that it's clear that they were terminated for that reason. If you have any interest in blocking them from unemployment benefits, you really need two written warnings and a written termination notice all within 12 months for the DES to, for the most part, deny the claim. Good enough. Cool. All right, another Wilmington? All right. Um, I recently just lost a parent, and my employer is only giving me four days of time to handle everything. I need to put her house up for sale and work out all the rearrangements and also grief. I have I have a few days of PTO, which I'm planning to use, but what if it takes me two or three weeks? I've had a conversation with my manager and let her know the situation, but she's only giving me four days. Do you have any advice? Um, a four days, four days is yeah. what the manager is getting, and she has some PTO. That's fine. Okay. I mean, very sorry that happened. Um, doesn't sound like she's spoken with the manager yet, perhaps. I would probably speak with him or her, but I mean, what, what would y'all say? This is, I mean, this is Yeah, we, I think we actually, like, talked about maybe this one or one similar, so it was interesting to have your perspective on it. Um, you know, you gotta talk Human through it. Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, I think that for us, it's HR professionals that have been doing this a long time, I think we know that a little goes a long way when people are going through a hard time. And, you know, while I believe in being consistent with all of our employees on certain things, I would like to think that something like bereavement time, we could have some leeway either way, right? It doesn't mean that we would never deny anyone of it. So that in itself, we're being consistent. But if anyone asked us in excess of, I would like to think that we would be able to work with people, anyone that asked us in there, that then we're consistent, right? And yeah. What does the employee need? What do they need? You know, sometimes this person may be just reeling from this loss and that's what they're dealing with and they can't see like through the trees yet, right? And sometimes maybe it just takes a great mentor to sit down and say, hey, can you do some of these things in the evening? Hey, you know, we've, we've, got a couple things coming up and, and maybe you can work on a Saturday here and then you can have that Friday off during the week to, you know, go take care of appointments and sell your mom's house, right? So sometimes it's like, let's be the mentors, let's be the leaders, let's be the business owners and actually try to help that person before we just say right? Find a way to help. But also as a business owner, you know, I respect the fact that like, I can't pay somebody to be out forever um, for bereavement or any other reason, right? Mm -hmm. 
but I can pay you for four days. I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to do that for everyone. Not just right. you, that my favorite person on the staff. Like I'm going to do that for everyone. Mm-hmm. But what I can let you do is I can let you leave a little bit early when you're feeling sad or you don't want to like interact with anybody or come to these yeah. public events with me work from home. That's right. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just check mm-hmm. in in another week. You would need to take unpaid leave to go to Massachusetts, pack your mom's house up. Like, yeah. go. Like these are things you just need to tell your boss what you need. And let's see, but I would not, you know, kind of poo poo or like talk crap about this employer because they're only giving you four paid days. That's pretty standard to be honest. Yeah. And like, that's, it's generous that they're paying you at all. However, I do think human center leadership, they could probably be open to do being flexible with yeah. the on that. Yeah. I agree. Cool. Well, that was kind of all I wanted to see if you guys had any questions. That was it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Those are good. Yeah. yeah. Those are all really good questions. Yeah. I'm any, su- any suggestions or like words of advice for our listeners? Um, let's say from like a, a business owner standpoint, if you had one piece of advice for them, what would it be? Be present, be in the trenches with your people, know your people. And I know that's hard when the business gets larger and you have to almost rely on other folks to do that for you. But someone needs to have their finger on the pulse and you cannot be asleep at the wheel with your people. Um, they know it. Um, and good people will run through walls for you mm-hmm. if they think you'll do the same thing for them. That's the biggest thing. I mean, I love it. This is why we love Willow. Yeah. (laughs) And have great HR people can help you. Right. And if you don't, call (laughs) Lee Okay. Well, we've got a lot of plugs today, but do you want to do the final plug for HR Nightmares? Yeah. Follow along HR Nightmares. You can find us on YouTube. You can watch us live. And you can find the podcast anywhere where you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. You can find us as Leaf HR Group pretty much on all platforms these days, including TikTok, TikTok. and Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. And you can follow us individually as well, and we'll leave it all in the show notes. Yeah. Will, where can people find you and Warden Smith? Uh, we're on the web, wardensmith.com. Uh, that's really the easiest way to find us. Okay. When we're around. We've got five offices. We're based in North Carolina, 100 plus attorneys, and we do pretty much everything other than criminal defense and immigration law. Thank you so much for being here. It's always super fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed. We'll see you on the next episode of HR Nightmares.